Good morning, church. When you look back, as Jason said, this is year 107, week one. When you look back at our 106-year history, it's inspiring and humbling to see what God has done through this church he calls Redeemer. From our humble beginnings to a little chapel in the corner of a farm field in 1916 that's still standing today, to the incorporation of this city in 1957 called Fridley, to the boom of this suburb back in the 70s and 80s, to the post-Christian culture that's been slowly engulfing America over the last 30 years, to the global pandemic that accelerated that post-Christian sentiment, to today. And you look back over that 106 years, and the one thing that you can glaringly, clearly, wonderfully see is the incredible faithfulness and the incredible blessing that God has had on his church called Redeemer. And looking back is heartwarming, but looking forward is inspirational. But before we do there, I think it's important to look at where we are. Let me ask you, have you ever come to a season in your life, a season that maybe was a major change, a major transition, maybe a major difficulty? You get to kind of that crossroads and you ask yourself, okay, now what? I mean, for me personally, I mean, in the last year, I've tried to cram as many major life changes as I can into a short amount of time, from getting engaged to becoming grandpa to getting married to selling a home to moving, having someone move into my house at 26 years to buying a new house to moving into that house. And you get to this place where you say, okay, now what? I think that's where I feel like we are as a church. We've gone through some major life change in the last couple of years. We're at a junction where we're looking at church differently going forward, and we're saying, okay, God, now what? And for some of you, that's how you feel about your journey of faith. Maybe you have been, maybe you're just kind of exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe this is something new to you. Or maybe you're at a place in your faith where you're sitting there going, been there, done that. But regardless of where you're at, you can be wondering, now what? And so for us as a church, I want to look at, now what? When Paul, the apostle, wrote a letter to the church's Ephesus, some of them receiving that letter were wondering the same thing. You see, Paul went to Ephesus in 50, 52 AD, planted a church, stayed there for two years as it was just being birthed, took off and left on his other missionary journeys, and then eight years later, he's in a prison in Rome. And he pens this letter, and some of those followers in Ephesus are going, okay, Paul, now what? And Paul writes a prayer to them, and he gives them some wonderful insights on how to move forward with Jesus. And today, we want to look at those insights for you personally and for us as a church. Before we go there, let me just remind you that God's ultimate desire, his ultimate goal is for all of us to receive his forgiveness, to receive his grace, and then to grow to become more like his son, Jesus. God wants you to grow. He wants me to grow, to become all that he intends for us. Look at on the screen there, there's Psalms 92, 13. It says those who are, actually, you know what? I, I'm going to go back. I want you to say that bold word with me. Those who are planted, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. God wants you to grow. He wants you to flourish. We say it in our mission statement, saying we want you to become extraordinary followers of him. And in order for that to happen, you have to place yourself in the right environment to grow. 
For seven years of my life, I lived in Los Angeles, California, working with Youth with a Mission. During that time, I drove home numerous times to see family for holidays or other summer or whatever. And when we drove the northern route, we went right by a national park called Death Valley. Anybody ever been to Death Valley? Yeah, some of you have. It's the hottest place in America. Average temperature, over 115. Not only is it hot, it's dry. It doesn't rain. Hence the name Death Valley. Here's a pic for you. This is what Death Valley looks like. Just a month ago, though, Death Valley got rain. About an inch and a half in one day. Caused some flooding, unfortunately. But this is what Death Valley looks like after it rains. Turns out that Death Valley isn't dead. <laughs> Death Valley's dormant. Right beneath the surface of the ground, there are all these seeds of potential that just need to be in the right environment for growth to happen. You probably know where I'm going with this. <laughs> As your church leader, our desire is to provide you with the best environment so that the best version of you happens. Because when the best version of you happens, the best version of we happens. Now here's something you all need to know. Today, as you sit here and as you watch me online, you are somewhere in your spiritual journey. And the goal of this message is to help you identify, this is where I'm at. Literally, I'd like the Holy Spirit just to kind of speak to you and go, this is, ah, that's where I'm at, spiritually. Because then once you know where you are, then you can know what the next step is to go forward, to flourish. Because your life isn't supposed to be dead. Your life isn't supposed to be dormant. Your life of faith is supposed to flourish. And God desires for all of us to flourish. Psalm 1611 says this, You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. God will show you the next step that leads to the path of life. And when you take that step, you'll experience God's pleasure over you and the fullness of his joy. Far too many of us at times, and I know we go through different seasons, but far too many of us feel like, I kind of know there's potential out there, but I'm not sure how to get there. When you read through the scripture, obviously there are a number of major themes that emerge. One of those themes is God wants some things for you, for us. From Genesis, Genesis through Revelation, there are at least 16 different places where God kind of says, I want four things for you. Now, he says it differently, but the gist is the same. For your sake, don't worry, I'm not going through 16 of them. I'm going through one. It's the few short verses from the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote to that church in Ephesus, wondering, now what? Now, last fall, Heather and I, my wife, and I were able to follow in the footsteps of Paul's missionary journeys. Ephesus was my favorite spot. The excavation is absolutely stunning. I mean, there are portions, major portions of this city, this old port city that have been unearthed, and it's spectacular. And when Paul planted that church, like when he planted all the churches, his deep-down God-given desire is, I want you to grow. I want you to flourish. Just like when you plant them, you want it to grow. And so in Ephesians 1.17, Paul prays like this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom 
and revelation. Let's pause right there. When he says, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, he's saying, I want you to know where you are. I want you to know where you are. And then he says, so that. And then he mentions four things he wants from you. First, he says, so that you might know him better. None of you went, oh. None of you were like shocked. So let me fill you in. Paul uses a Greek word here that's pronounced gnosko. And it literally means to know God in an intimate, personal way. It's the same word used for how a man knows his wife when they have a baby. <gasps> but it's not a sexual term. It's an intimate one. And so this was so foreign to the people that heard Paul speak, they said, wait a second, we know about the different religions of our time. We know about their traditions. But when Paul used the word gnosko, they all went, What? I didn't know we could know God like that. And so Paul says, I wish that you could know God better. Then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's an interesting phrase, the eyes of your heart. Paul is saying, we don't just see life through these. We also see life through this, through our hearts. Every single one of you is looking at your life through the lens of everything that's happened in your life to this point. Looking at life through the lens of your past, your pain, your joys, your successes, your struggles, your sorrows, your hurts, your good days, your bad days, your relationships. So Paul's saying, number two, the second step of your spiritual journey, get your heart right. Make sure that it's pure and clean and healed. Because it will change how you see things. All of you right here in this room, all of you online, you're looking at me right now, but you're seeing it differently because you're seeing it through the lens of your hearts. And then Paul uses this phrase, in order, which means you can't do the, third, the next step until you've done the first two, but he says, in order that you might know the hope he's called you to. God calls each and every one of us to know the hope found in him. God created you to know hope, to walk in hope, to spread hope. God has a purpose and a plan for you. If you're sitting here wondering and you're listening to me and you're going, I don't know, Pastor John, what my purpose is, it might be because you've not taken the second step of your spiritual journey and got your heart right. Until you settle the pain from yesterday, you can't see the promise of tomorrow. But once you do, you'll see the hope that he's called you to. Notice that verse, hope and calling, they're connected. In other words, you're not going to find your hope in your circumstances. Knowing God's purpose for you is the source of hope. It's a powerful truth. The writer Mark Twain once said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. So many people are looking for hope today in their circumstances. I just need my family to work out better. I need my finances to, better, to be better. I need school to go better. I need my politics to be better. I need my job to be better. No, hope is found when you know God's purpose for you. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we're to fix our eyes. Try that again. We're to fix our eyes <clears throat> on what is seen. We're not to fix our eyes on what is seen our circumstances, but on what is unseen. 
Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, from the life of Paul, he didn't live his life based on his circumstances. And in the same way, you're not supposed to spend the rest of your life just praying about you and your needs and your issues. You're supposed to discover that purpose and live your life with hope. Paul ends his prayer to the church in Ephesus by saying this, so that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You and I, all of us, we have an inheritance, but it's not for us alone. It's for a group of holy people. God wants to help you get connected to other people who know their purpose, who share the same purpose, who do life together. That's why we gather. That's why we meet. You have an inheritance. You might wonder, Pastor John, what inheritance? The Bible makes it clear in Psalms 2. He gives you the nations as your inheritance. The people of this earth are your inheritance. So the fourth step is once we know God personally and receive his wholeness, his ultimate purpose, his ultimate desire for us is to share that love of Jesus with others. Now, we could go around and share that in very religious terms. We could talk about salvation and sanctification and redemption and deliverance. But if you have friends like me that don't know Jesus, they'd probably say, yeah, I don't need your religion. And yet, you want to hear something wild? Social scientists have asked those who don't follow Jesus, what do you want in your life? You know what they say? Four things. <laughs> they are, number one, you ready for this? To know God. They want to know God. There's somebody big, something bigger than them. They want to know that. Number two, they want to find freedom. Number three, they want to discover their purpose. And number four, they want to make a difference. That sounds an awful lot like the prayer God uh, Paul prayed. A non-Christian won't come up to you and say, hey, I want to help you grow your church. I want to join you guys. But they will say, you know what? I'd like to know God. They won't say, hey, you know what, John? I, I need deliverance. <laughs> but everybody has something in their life where they'd like to find freedom, to have their hearts right. Everyone wants their lives to have purpose, to feel like they're making a difference. And so what I want to do now is I want to go back through those four things real quick to help you figure out where you are so that you might know what your next step is. The first thing God wants for you personally and for us as a church is to know God. That's why we gather together each week to worship. We don't come to just get our religious fix. We come to orient our lives focused on Jesus in every area of our life. That's why we challenge you to not only come to worship, but read your Bible, pray, listen. We want you to know God intimately and personally. Jesus says some interesting, challenging words out of Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Ooh. And then he goes on to even say, you can do a bunch of religious things like casting out demons and prophesying and performing miracles. We all want to see more of that. But not make it to heaven because Jesus says these words, I never knew you. And the word he uses is gnosko. 
The same word that Paul used, although Jesus used it first. (laughs) You can come to church. You can do all the right religious things. But it's about surrendering your heart and being in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about just showing up at church. It's not about just doing more religious things or putting on a mask and trying harder. Now, many of you in this room, you've taken a step. Many of you online have done the same. But you maybe haven't done the second step, which is to find freedom. You haven't dealt with the stuff that's holding you back from the best version of you. Some of you listening to me right now, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I know that thing that's holding me back. (laughs) It's that sin, it's that habit, it's that addiction. It's that secret I've never told anyone. I've got good news and I've got, not bad, but I've got challenging news for you. The good news is that there's a solution. The challenging news is it's going to take some courage and humility. James talks about finding freedom in James 5. He says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Pretty clear. Go to God for forgiveness, but you go to others for healing. You might be sitting here going, why am I still struggling with that thing that I haven't seemed to allow God to help me conquer? Could very well be that you're trying to go it alone. We heard some incredibly powerful testimonies last week from the people from Teen Challenge, Adult and Teen Challenge. And they told you that when they got real with one another, (laughs) they were beginning to find freedom. That's why we urge you. It's why we challenge you. It's why we keep telling you, get in a growth group. Could be as small as two. Could be as many as 12. I know some growth groups are even larger than that. But people that you can be real and vulnerable and honest with. That's where you find freedom. We often think of freedom like from major things like addiction, but how about freedom from apathy? Freedom from a bad attitude, a hot temper. Freedom from worrying about everything. Freedom from chasing after the wrong things. Freedom from not putting God first in this area of your life. It takes courage. It takes guts to be honest and vulnerable. We oftentimes think, unfortunately, that if I kind of take my mask down in that intimate group, that someone's going to go, what? You do that? The lie of the enemy is that humility humiliates. And yet the truth couldn't be more opposite. I know in my own personal life, I have a group of other colleagues that I meet with. And when we're open and when we're vulnerable and we're real, humility releases grace, understanding, opens the door to accountability and to support and to freedom. Our growth groups aren't so that you can get another Bible lesson. Don't get me wrong. Bible lessons are important. It's so that you can be honest and real and discover healing and freedom. For some of you, that's where you're at in your Christian walk. You've been a Christian, but you're not living the best version of you. Find a group. Get in a group. I know there are some that tried a group, and it didn't work out so well. I'm sorry. I feel your pain. I get that. But you know what? Jump in another one. Find some people that you do life with. 
Be in a group. It's where you find freedom. It's where you discover your purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes the church, his people, his family, as a body and how each part, each person has a part to play. And he talks very tongue-in-cheek and winsomely about letting you know that there's not one body part that's more important than another. They're all extremely important. The point of his whole analogy is find your role, play your part. According to a study done of churches in America, 80% of people who go to church don't know what role they are to play. 87%. How would your body function if 87% of the parts didn't know what they were to do? We wonder why the church feels anemic or powerless. So as we kick off this ministry year, find your role. Play your role. Don't spectate. Don't look for your ultimate life's fulfillment just in other things like a job or a career or making money or other pursuits. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just not the best part of you. I love how Paul describes this in Acts 20, 24. He talks about his purpose and he says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. Complete the task the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. The task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. Thank you for the eye contact. Online, look at me too. You have something that God has placed in you, that God designed you for. That when you do it, it makes a difference in somebody else's life. Not only that, it brings you joy and fulfillment. Pursue that. Go after it. Or you end up chasing after things that ultimately don't matter in life at the end. In John 15, 8, Jesus says these words, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. <laughs> that phrase, showing yourself, it almost means like, you know what, if you want to prove that you're really following me, bear fruit. That's not what God says. Because the next line isn't, prove it, <laughs> or I've told you this so that you'll be blessed. He says this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete God desires for you and for me and for all of us to be able to put our heads down on a pillow at night and go wow <laughs> that was a day well lived what I did today that made a difference in somebody else's life I look back at my own life and those days when I have felt that when I put my head on the pillow because I served somebody else I used a gift God's given me Make a difference for someone. Don't know what to do? Join a team. Try something out. You know, as Jason said, we've got this brand new kid space up there. Our prayer, our desire, our hope is not just to go, oh, we've got a cool new kid space. No, it's so kids can come and have fun and make friends and most importantly, grow in their faith. If that's how God's wired you, get on the team. Go serve there. If it's something else, you know, maybe you want to, you like to help cook or serve others. Get on the family table team and cook each month. Sharon and Karen Hands is looking for some more people. 
Maybe you're just really friendly and effervescent and get on the ushers and the greeters team. Maybe you have a wonderful connection with God. You like to pray for this. Get on the prayer team. Maybe you like to play an instrument. Jump up here. Maybe you like to sing. Unless you sing like me, go for it. God wants you to use your gifts. Church, we need you. God needs you. The lost need you. Make a difference. Let me describe to you the urgency I want to close this with. Last Saturday, I was at my son's football game, and I had to leave a little bit early because my wife and I had to run up to Duluth to do a wedding. Rehearsal starts at 6. It's 5 to 6, and I'm pulling into Duluth, cutting a little close. Get to the stoplight, it's red. It turns green. Person in front of me, they don't move. They just sit there. I would like you to think that I'm very spiritual and I'm very holy and I'm very patient. And so I went, beep, beep, little reminder to get them going. As my wife can test, it was much more like, honk, honk. <laughs> what are you waiting for? The light screen, let's go. I got to get there. That phrase, what are you waiting for? is the urgency I feel when it comes to yours and to mine and to our spiritual life. What are you waiting for? Another week, another month, another year to go by and still decide, well, I don't know if I really want to do this Jesus thing. Really? Another month of hanging on to that pain or that addiction or that sin that's like, just been engulfing you, that habit? Want to come to January 1 and put the same resolution down this year as last year? Another year of not discovering kind of what, how you're gifted and how you can use that to bless others. What are you waiting for? Another opportunity not to make a difference in someone's life? We're supposed to flourish. We don't do that if you're waiting. So as nicely and as Forget that. Honk, honk! Let's go. Some of you listening to me right now, whether here or online, Holy Spirit's nudging you right now. Take that step. You can't do the other three without doing the first one. Some of you think, well, I'm not sure if I'm ready to kind of let go of that thing. I've kind of felt this shame for being disconnected from God for so long. Let it go. I've got some great news for you. Jesus stepped out of heaven, came to earth, comes to your life today and says, let's go. I'm here. I'll carry your sin. I'll forgive you of everything you've ever done, even though you don't deserve it. I want to give your life meaning and purpose. I want you to know what joy and purpose are. like to make your life real and meaningful again. like you to find freedom, discover your gifts, impact others. 
Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and clarity to where we are in our spiritual journey. God, give us courage and boldness to take that next step. Lord, for those that haven't taken that first step, God, you'd like to settle that right now. You sense the Holy Spirit nudging you. Your heart's beating a little faster. Your palms are sweaty. You want to connect or maybe reconnect with Jesus for the first time in quite some time. And if that's you, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And we're all just going to pray together out loud to make it much less threatening and much more inviting. And so let's all pray this together. Please repeat after me. Heavenly Father, sorry that I've sinned against you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Send your Holy Spirit to live in me. Today, I say yes to following you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye still closed, in the safety of this moment, if that's you, if you said yes to Jesus, would you please raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. God, we're so grateful for the way that you just come into our lives, help set our path straight. <laughs> God, we have so many blessings, it's so easy to get distracted. And yet you want us to live a life that brings such purpose and meaning. We just give you praise for that today in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen. If that's you that raised your hand, we have some people that will be over here by this blue table. Jesus Christ says pretty clearly that if you acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So it's not a guilt trip, but you know what? Those people want to celebrate with you. They want to say, yay, God, that's awesome. They want to maybe help you with what your next steps might be, although I laid them out somewhat clearly, I hope. <laughs> but stop by that. They just want to encourage you, bless you, pray for you. Those of you online, you can simply go to redeemermn.org slash next steps. And there'll be some thoughts and ideas for you on what those next steps might be. So grateful for how God lays out pretty clearly the things that he wants for us. And they're amazing things. That's what we want for you and for us as well. All right? Why don't you stand? I'll just give a blessing as we go here. May the Lord Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he say honk, honk to you that you can take that next step.
name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Have a great week.